Or you want to run the story? You got five hours until eight o'clock. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome to the Collegian Week in Review. Here's your hosts, Elizabeth Troutman and Aubrey Gulick. Welcome back to Collegian Week in Review with Elizabeth Troutman and Aubrey Gulick. Today, we are going to talk to Claire O'Day about an archbishop who came to the Hillsdale College campus to give a speech to students this week. We're going to talk to Vivian Tork, a member of the mock trial team who's been having a very successful season. We talked to Haley Strack, Collegian Opinions Editor, about her piece this week about coping mechanisms and about any other hot takes that the opinions section held this week. And finally, we talked to Christian peck sports editor for our weekly sports update. And now we have Claire Gaudet, media manager for The Collegian. Um, She reported a story about Archbishop Athanasius Schneider of Kazakhstan, who visited Hillsdale on October 14th. So Claire, what were some of the key takeaways from his speech? Um, So I think that, uh, at least for me and the students that I spoke to afterwards, uh, the biggest takeaway was the importance of the Catholic family in building a faith life. You know, we all know that we're supposed to go out and be fruitful and multiply, but um, I really don't think that a lot of people meditate on what that means all too often. I think what Bishop Snyder had to say about his own family and his own uh, upbringing, uh, just, you know, it it was so important to him that he was able to celebrate any semblance of Catholicism in the Soviet Union, and he did that through his family. So I think it made all the young people in the audience really think about, uh, you know, what they want to have in their family life eventually and how important that's going to be to them eventually. So um, could you maybe outline, I guess, what his childhood looked like like growing up? So he was born in the Soviet Union and was moved to a gulag as a young child. Um, He said that most of the priests that were originally in his area were either imprisoned or murdered, and he did get to go to school, but there was a lot of anti-Catholic propaganda at um, the school that he attended. Any, you know, kind of Catholicism that he practiced had to be behind closed doors and only with his family. He didn't talk a lot about, you know, other aspects of his childhood, but at least the Catholicism side of it was very shut in and was obviously very strong because of where he is today. But yeah, he was um, he was pretty oppressed for his beliefs. And, you know, it just sounded very, very sad. (laughs) Yeah, it was a really striking story to hear when you live in America. So what element stuck out to you most about his story and why? So I think what stuck out to me most about his story as someone who went to Catholic elementary through high school, has a brother in seminary, when I was listening to what he was saying, it really put everything into perspective. You know, um, myself and a lot of people here have had just such a wonderfully blessed faith life and have had a lot of things easy or given to us. And it's just so earth shattering to think about Um, You know, this isn't the experience everyone has. And to see how strong someone's faith life has to be um, to be able to endure that, it was very inspiring as a young Catholic to listen to him speak. So his speech was directed specifically to Catholics. Do you think that there were elements of his speech that also apply to non-Catholics? 
absolutely. I'd say that anyone preaching about a strength of conviction and character, no matter what, uh, that, that has inspiring elements to it. So, you know, whoever was in the audience, whether it's Protestants, atheists, whoever, um, they could at least listen to someone who was passionate enough to stand up for what they believe in. Um, and I think that's a wonderful thing to draw from or for anyone from any walk of life. So um, in America, I guess today, I, I think it's pretty evident that there is like a definite socialist wing of politics. Do you see ways in which Schneider's commentary on his experience of socialism like applies to our lives today in America? And do you think that his answer to how to like respond to that is applicable to us? So Bishop Schneider talked a lot about how a hope for the for a few a better future, um, specifically a better Catholic future, is so important to young people to persevere. Um, you know, he talked about how he had one and how we should as well. I obviously think whatever we are living through is not as um, as rough as what Bishop Schneider had to live through in his childhood. But I think that his points about um, hoping that God is, you know, tending to the soil for the future of the church is a message that we should all carry with us when watching uh, what whomever in politics is trying to accomplish nowadays. My last question is, what is one thing that you wish you could have included in this story but just didn't fit? So one of the things that, uh, in formatting-wise, um, was kind of hard to capture was uh, all of the quotes and anecdotes and stories that he used of other saints and faith leaders. Um, you know, he had really wonderful stories, but they kind of strayed from the main message of his speech and to fully capture, like, the beautiful details of the story of St. Philip Howard, for example. Um, it would have been... Uh, a lot of word count and a lot of off-topicness to kind of throw in at the end there, but um, I, I think it would have been nice to talk about, you know, being uh, held in a tower in England and, you know, being faced with, you have to you have to give up your faith and, oh, no, I won't, and then being executed for it. It's a, it's a very cool story, and I'm sad that I couldn't put it in the piece. It added a lot to the speech, but it definitely would have seemed a little out of place so yeah exactly <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on the show claire of course thank you for having me the collegian weekend review continues now I'm talking to Vivian Torque. She is a member of the Hillsdale College mock trial team, which has already won two tournaments this season. Vivian, when did the season begin? We started our season right off at the beginning of the year, usually the second week that we're back on campus. We've been at it for a while already. Amazing. So you, which team are you on? I believe there's three teams at the college. What is the name of your team? So my team is called 1298. Um, the other teams that are competing this season are 1299 and 1300. And which ones are the ones that won the tournaments? 1299 and 1298. Very cool. So where was that tournament that you, your team won? We competed at the University of Iowa in Iowa City. What was that like? Um, it was a, a super fun tournament. That was my team's first one of the season. And the competition wasn't quite as difficult as our teams that were at Case Western this past weekend. Um, but I had a really amazing time with my team, and I'm really proud of how we did that weekend. Awesome. So what do you do when you compete in a mock trial tournament? Um, I personally am an attorney for the defense, and so I have an opening statement, a direct examination, a cross-examination, and then um, you're responsible for 
being able to respond to objections, make objections to the other side, etc. Very cool. So what's the case this year? Uh, this year we have a, civ- a criminal case. Um, every year alternates between criminal and civil. This year our case is an aggravated arson case, although I would say as a defense attorney, an alleged aggravated arson. <laughs> Very nice. So how many members of the team are there? Um, there are about 30 people in our program and there are about eight on my team specifically. Very nice. So do you have anyone who you would attribute, particularly on the team, this recent major success to? Um, I would say probably our captain, our senior captain, Matisse Belancle. Um, His twin brother, Jean-Luc, is also a captain, and he was on my team last fall. Um, the two of them are incredibly talented competitors, and they're just very kind and supportive. Awesome. I'm so glad to hear it. So what do you look forward to for the rest of the season? This year, I'm really hoping that we will get a bid to nationals in April. So knock on wood, hopefully that will happen. That's my biggest goal for this year. Has the Hillsdale College mock trial team ever gone to nationals before? No, it has not. (laughs) So this could be a record-breaking season. Yeah, it could be. (laughs) Where are nationals held? Um, It changes every year, actually. So to be determined. How many more tournaments do you have before the qualifiers for that would happen? We have two more invitationals this fall uh, and a third one that's online, actually. And then we have one invitational in January and then we'll start having qualifiers for the national tournament in February. What is your favorite part or something that you've learned that's been particularly meaningful to you and your time on the mock trial team? Um, My favorite part of mock trial is the community of my team because it's incredibly time intensive and um, sometimes I feel like mock trial owns my life. And if I didn't have, if I didn't love my teammates as much as I do and look up to my upperclassmen teammates and such, um, I think it would be much more difficult to justify the commitment that it is and how how much of a stressor it is in my day-to-day life. Now, you're a sophomore, so is this your second year on the mock trial team? Yes, that's right. And so you chose to make the big commitment a second year in a row. Do you plan to continue on the mock trial team for the rest of your time at college? Yes, I do. I love it to death. <laughs> Amazing. I'm so glad to hear it. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Radio Free Hillsdale's The Collegian Week in Review continues. Collegian Week in Review tip of the week is to always make sure that your Collegian pieces have three sources. If it is a brief where you are briefing the reader for an event that's about to happen but has not yet happened, that can have two sources. But for all other pieces, for all six of our sections, we ask that you have three sources. You're listening to the Collegian Week in Review. This is Haley Strack, the opinions editor for the Collegian. Haley, this week you wrote a piece about some interesting forms of coping mechanisms. What is your coping mechanism for stress? That is a great question, Elizabeth. So I have one huge coping mechanism, and that is whenever I'm stressed, I will buy a sweatsuit. So I know when you think sweatsuit, you think of like ancient grandpa who has nothing better to do than lounge around in his sweatsuit and watch Fox News all day. But for me, it's a great way to kind of release a bunch of stress from the week um, and get a sweatsuit. It makes me comfortable. It's like a cozy cotton blanket. um, And it's, it's a bit of a niche coping mechanism, I guess you could say. But it definitely beats other coping mechanisms like alcohol or binge eating, anything like that. 
So true. How many sweatsuits have you acquired at this time? So I have a sweatsuit for every season, <laughs> um, doubling up in fall and winter, uh, of course, because those are when they're it's necessary, cold, yeah. right? Yeah. But I have a short sweatsuit for summer, um, and I just bought three more after a pretty bad mental break this week. Did, was it helpful? <laughs> it was so helpful. <laughs> um, that's the thing about coping mechanisms is... You know, I feel like there was a lot of stigma. The title of the piece is Destigmatized Coping Strategies. And I think there's a lot of stigma, especially around coping, because it's kind of a postmodern idea, the idea of self-help, right? And especially at a conservative college, I think we're told that a lot of self-help is negative, that you must turn to Christ first, which, of course, always you should. Um, But my point in this piece was to also say that we are given things by God that make us happy on this earth. Um, And whether for you it's it's nature, for me it's sweatsuits, right, which is still a byproduct of the natural, (laughs) um, just as anything is. But for you, maybe it's nature, maybe it's a walk in the Arboretum, maybe it's your favorite book, maybe it's your favorite music. Um, Whatever it is, it was given to humans to make us happy, to make us feel some sort of joy. And I think that there's a special importance in tapping into that. What are some other examples of unconventional coping mechanisms amongst people you know? Mm, That's a good question. Um, I have a friend who really likes socks, like colored socks um, and themed socks, and they'll buy one for every holiday, stuff like that. And it's not necessarily just another material good. Um, It's something that genuinely brings them joy. And I, um, Dr. Art actually came to our collegian booth in the student union today, and he saw my piece and he looked at it and he said, who's this Haley? Um, and he, he didn't like the title. He didn't like the coping strategies <laughs> because, again, it is more postmodern to say that we should embrace coping. And so I think maybe, you know, there are some people who would think that unconventional coping strategies or just coping strategies in general are bad, but... If a pair of socks brings you joy and it's something that small, why wouldn't you why wouldn't you buy a pair of socks? I've always liked Christmas socks a lot. I have about there you go. maybe 30 pairs of Christmas socks. So maybe that maybe could be that's my yours, right? unconventional coping mechanism <laughs> exactly. as well. After a year full of stress, Elizabeth just needs to unwind with some Christmas socks. Every Christmas. Is Every the time. Christmas. And then some. <laughs> that's amazing. Now, as the opinions editor, did you see any other pieces this week that were particularly hot takes? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually had one student, um, John Paul, write a piece about horror movies um, and how horror movies aren't all bad. Again, this is a Christian college, obviously. Um, And he himself is Catholic. He was born Roman Catholic, raised Roman Catholic, and is extremely devout. Um, And especially in Catholic communities now, we are told that a lot of horror movies are inherently bad. And he kind of made this piece into it, it, it. depends how you approach a horror movie if your soul is open to you know the demonic influence or if it's seeing it for what it is which is entertainment value and kind of how a christian can navigate the different horror movies or horror films that are out there do you have a favorite horror film i just watched annabelle and i i don't have a favorite but i just watched annabelle and i think it's one of my least favorite actually um, I really, I mean, that's that's the thing about watching horror shows as a Christian, right, is you have to kind of avail yourself to truth and to blatant lie and how Hollywood just blows everything out of proportion. Um, but it's definitely one of my least favorite because it gets everything about, um, not everything, but a lot about Catholic priests wrong. I don't watch many horror films, but yeah, definitely was not a fan of that one. 
I haven't seen many horror films myself, kind of easily scared. <laughs> Don't watch them. Well, that's the thing, too. You know, you, you have to know yourself. You have to exercise the right sort of prudence um, to know that if I watch this horror film, I will be scared. I will feel, feel like at the end of the night when I'm going to bed, there's a pair of eyes in the corner watching me, right? And the more you attune your soul to that sort of influence, the more you think, wow, this is something that happens. This is bad. I'm scared of this. Um, demons thrive off of that, you know? Um, so just you have to watch out for that. And I'm glad you don't watch horror films if you <laughs> if you know yourself well enough to know that that would not be good for you. Now, in this Halloween season, Halloween is coming up this Sunday. Do you have any Halloween movie recommendations? One of my favorites is Hocus Pocus, simply for the music. Um, wonderful. I put a spell on you. A classic every single time. Um, I Obviously, you have to go with Charlie Brown. There was an amazing culture piece this week about... Um, the psychological impacts that Charlie Brown's had on children, but The Great Pumpkin uh, is a great one if you are a little easily spooked, like our friend Elizabeth here. Um, so yeah, those are those are two of my favorites. Those are some great recommendations. Thank you. Thank you so much, Haley. Thanks, Elizabeth. This is the Collegian Week in Review. And now we have Collegian Sports Editor Christian Pectimit with a sports update. So, Christian, what did Charger sports look like this week? Well, an awful lot. I think the biggest story and what got jumped to A1 is the football team knocked off uh, the previous GMAC leader, which was uh, Findlay. They were previously undefeated 3-0 in GMAC play, and the Chargers, of course, uh, took it to them in Findlay, and both Garrett Eisen, uh, junior quarterback, and Isaac Tesla, registered freshman receiver, had career days. They are now, I believe, seventh and eighth, respectively, all time for that single game performance in both passing and, of course, receiving yards. Tesla had three touchdowns as well. Ison had five total, and now the football team is tied for first uh, in the conference. So, what does that mean for the season going forward? Well, it does mean so. We've we've already played Tiffin. And, of course, Findlay, who are the two real real powerhouses, so to speak, in the conference and perhaps the hardest teams on the in-conference schedule. So what it means is they really got to hunker down and just get through these last. They have three games remaining in the season. And, of course, in they go, if they go undefeated, they'll at least get a share of the title. If not, it, it'll give them a very good shot at winning it outright, assuming one of the other teams uh, currently tied for first loses. So it's it's a big deal because Charger Sports for the last couple of years uh, in football in particular have or just football rather have uh, <laughs> not been you know the greatest. So this is a, a big comeback season for them, really, especially after COVID and all those down years. Uh, so they just gotta they gotta beat what is the easier teams on their schedule, but sometimes that's harder to do just because you're expecting to win. So what did some of the other sports teams look like this week? Well, we had rather a bigger issue uh, because last week, uh, as you know, there wasn't one because of fall break. So we've got two weeks, you know, worth of information, worth of news and a lot of these stories. So they're a little bit of a longer read. Uh, women's tennis finished up their fall season. So like uh, so did softball. And like a lot of these teams, uh, both tennises and softball, golf as well, have very short fall seasons where it's a lot more tournaments and out-of-conference play, and of course their full uh, quote-unquote real season is in the spring, 
And so it's a lot of prep work for that more than it is really meaningful games. Uh, but softball and tennis both finished up with wins. Softball picked up uh, two wins against Jackson Community College, and tennis uh, finished with a sweep, actually. The volleyball team is now ranked 18th in the nation after going 4-2 over the past weekend. What does that mean for the team? Uh, so it's big. Obviously, the last, you know, however many years, this volleyball team has been dominant, for lack of a better word, just incredible at every facet of the game. And they had a very tough uh, match loss on Tuesday against Ferris State, who's an out-of-conference opponent, so it doesn't really affect their standing. They're still undefeated in GMAC play. Uh, however, Ferris State is, of course, very good. And it was I watched uh, a lot of the match, actually. It was very uh, difficult to see the Chargers lose because it was, it was a sweep, so it was three straight set losses and yet all three losses were a com- by a combined nine points, which is, of course, very, very tight all the way. So it just, you know, could have easily a couple points go their way, and it's the Chargers sweeping Ferris State. So what are some of the biggest games coming up to keep an eye out for? Well, uh, we're now about two weeks, uh, I think almost exactly on the day, two weeks from the kickoff of the men's basketball uh, season. They're coming off a 21-3 and season where they went to the D2 Sweet 16 and they won uh, the GMAC outright. Uh, first back-to-back conference titles for the team in a long time. So look out for their, I believe their home opener is the 17th of November. And that is uh, some out-of-conference play. The swimming uh, swimming matches, uh, meets rather, have really been heating up. And this team is about just as good as basketball and volleyball is, how dominant they are. Uh, so watch out for some meets from them as well. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Christian. Of course. This has been the Collegian Week in Review with your hosts Aubrey Gulick and Elizabeth Troutman. We talked to Claire Gaudet about a speech given by Archbishop Athanasius Schneider. We talked about the mock trial tournament this past weekend and to Haley Strack about her opinion on destigmatizing coping strategies. Finally, we got a sports update from sports editor Christian Pechtemit. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.